0: I'm Steve Latart, STP Auto Expert and
1: former chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents
0: compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline.
1: Greetings, and welcome to the ninth episode of the NASCAR NBC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. I think we've got two great guests this week. We'll start with Jeff Burton, who is the NBC Sports Analyst on our daily show, NASCAR America, as well as an analyst in the booth with Rick Allen and Steve Letard on our Sprint Cup broadcasts. This is a really good discussion with Jeff Burton. Uh, We we get into Kyle Busch's victory in Martinsville Speedway and the career significance of that for the defending series champion. Uh, We have a good philosophical discussion about the relationship between drivers and the media and what it's like now for Jeff now that he's on that other side, that he's part of the media. He, of course, has great perspective having been a driver in NASCAR's Premier Series for the better part of two decades and has some really interesting food for thought about that relationship between drivers and media. We talk about some of the defining moments of Jeff Burton's career and the tough choices he made when he left Roush Fenway Racing to go to Richard Childress Racing in 2004, and then about how he decided to end his career. Uh, his last full-time season was in 2013. He would have preferred it would have been in 2014. That was his initial plan, and he is very, very candid. And Jeff's also going to give us a little preview of uh, what we can expect to see in the booth uh, for NBC Sports when uh, we return to broadcasting Sprint Cup races in july at daytona now jeff is also the inaugural winner at texas motor speedway in 1997 that track is where the nascar sprint cup series is this weekend so the second guest we have on the uh, podcast today will be texas motor speedway president eddie gossage and we'll get into his story he's been there since the beginning when that track opened uh, 19 years ago now beginning its 20th season the first two seasons were pretty rough on eddie and he's very candid and very uh, funny, to, to be quite honest, about how things went those first two years, why it was rough, what he learned, and where the track is now as it enters its 20th season. And again, with a new low downforce package, what we might expect to see on Saturday night in the Sprint Cup race at Texas. Uh, we really appreciate you listening, as always, uh, to the podcast. Please rate us or give us a review on iTunes. Tell your friends to subscribe if you like what you hear. And next week, we will continue our NBC Sports Analyst run. We'll have Dale Jarrett scheduled for what I hope will be another insightful edition of the podcast. Uh, But for now, uh, again, thanks for listening. And without further ado, here is NBC Sports Analyst Jeff Burton. All right, we're going to get started here and and start with uh, the previous weekend, Jeff, uh, Martinsville Speedway. Kyle Busch wins and ticks off another track from the list of ones that he hadn't conquered, all that's left now, Pocono, Charlotte, Kansas. So what I'm curious to know from you, being a student of the sport, you know the history, he's got a championship, but now he's on the verge of doing something that Jeff Gordon didn't do, Jimmy Johnson hasn't done, Tony Stewart hasn't done, win at every track on the circuit. If he doesn't win another championship, and by all rights he probably will, where do you think that puts him in the pantheon if he's able to win at every track on a circuit?
2: Well, I think the thing that... uh that That's very difficult to do because, you know, there's a lot of things that go into racing. It's more than just a driver's skill. There's the ability to have the right pit stop at the right time. There's the ability to to not break engines, To all these kind of things that happen. And so when you start narrowing down a racetrack or two racetracks and you need to win on those racetracks to win them all, it becomes very difficult because on a particular night, and now you, typically you have two chances on these racetracks to win – on one of those two nights or afternoons, everything has to go just right for you to do it. It becomes very difficult to win everywhere, because winning these races is very hard. So um, it would mean a great deal. And I think, I think the thing with Kyle is that, you know, you can't separate you can't separate from him uh, his accomplishments on Saturdays and Fridays. He's won so many truck races and so many Xfinity races. When you look at what he's won in Cup, he's won a lot. But there's Mm -hmm. people that won quite a lot more. Yeah. But then when you add what he's done in those other series, it's like wow. I mean, it's you know, know, years ago we thought well nobody wins as many races as Mark Martin's won. Right. And he's he's gone by it and kept digging by it. So, you know, Kyle has done extraordinary things. Um, and it it but it will be difficult for him to win. He's young. That's the thing he has going for him. He's very young. But it's going to be difficult to win at every single racetrack.
1: Yeah, which one of those do you think gives him the most trouble? I know Kansas hasn't been particularly good. For no, good
2: he is. He is uh, outwardly spoken of his dislike for Kansas. Um, you know, Charlotte, and Pocono. I mean, I, those are kind of racetracks that. That I mean, he runs well on all kinds of racetracks. But, right. You know, as he's as he's gotten older, you know, the six hundred to me is a kind of race that really works well for him because especially with his lower downforce package. I think the, the groove's going to open up. You're going to have a lot of – you're going to have running up by the wall all over the place, late race restarts. Um, you know, I don't know of any, any of those tracks that he can't win on for sure.
1: Hmm. You, you mentioned the victory total, and somebody, of course, because we're the media, somebody had to ask him after his 35th victory ever, hey, you know, Pearson – he didn't win his 35th till he was 34. So do you think you can catch Pearson? I'm sure that, you know, <laughs> that's the type of question that you would always love when we throw that your, your way. But, right. I mean, I, I don't know if he gets to 100 in Cup, but it almost seems a certainty he's going to get to 200 across Cup, Xfinity, and Truck. Because I think he's like in the 150 or 160 range all three series together. Does that, is that, I mean, that, that's
2: not Richard Petty winning 200 Cup races, but where, where do you think that ranks him if he gets there? I mean, he's in uncharted territory. I mean, you know, we've, we haven't seen anyone that can that has won that many races across all the, you know, like, there's nothing compared to. I mean, right. that's the thing. Like, he's in an area where no one's been, and that's what makes it so difficult. And, you know, and a lot of people discount his wins in the Xfinity Series because he's driving for Joe Gibbs. Well, other people drive for Joe Gibbs, too. Right. You know, and, right. and you know, he's driving for Cowboys Motorsports. Well, guess what? He's not the only one driving a Cowboys Motorsports. So, you know, yes, he's driving very, very good equipment, but he's getting more out of their equipment than the, than the other people that are driving it as well, with multiple crew chiefs.
1: Right. When we came in, or when I came in today, you, you asked me immediately if I'd heard anything about if Matt Kenseth had said anything after the race, and we, we, we know that... He and Kyle worked together on restarts at Martinsville, where uh, Kyle would take the outside, Kenzo would yep. let him in on yep. the inside, until that final restart, yep. which initially was 12 to go, then it got changed to 11, and the de- as Kyle explained at post-race, the deal was within 10 laps, it would be every man for himself. But
2: Close enough. Close. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I, well, listen, I I think it's smart for teammates to work together like that. I, I think that I think that that makes a lot of sense. But when Mm -hmm. it comes down to winning time, uh, at that point, it's every man for himself. And if you go back and you watch, and it kind of got – it was interesting. There was a really good battle for the lead, but there were so many battles in the field that it was hard to focus on just the battle for the lead. But if you go back and focus on the battle for the lead, when that last caution came out, Matt had caught him. Mm -hmm. And Matt was putting an extraordinary amount of pressure on him to the point where – Matt may win. May, Matt may win this race. So if you're Kyle Busch, whether he's your teammate or not, you have to look at that and say, Do I want to get him? In, do I want to give him an opportunity to start and, you know, getting right behind me when he just exhibited that he's probably faster than me? Right. And it's, so at some point, you have to be selfish. You right. have to be about you and your team. And and that's what's so hard about teammates is that teammates get mad at each other because they expect more from each other. But when it but you have to remember what would you have done right if you were the one you know what I mean so the reason that I, that I asked that question to you is because I was curious what was said over the radios you know what was the what was the conversation what was Matt's attitude because to be honest with you, I was more concerned about Matt's mental well-being because if right. you, I mean he's right. go back <laughs> and you if you go back into last year and mm-hmm. then you follow, his this year, my goodness. I mean, it's like, I mean, they can put their shoes on, but they can't tie them. Right. I mean, it, you know, it's, they just <laughs> right. can't seem to, to finish a race off. And, and I mean, you, it's, it, I've talked to him about it, and, and he's very, he was very frustrated after Daytona, and he was, he's very frustrated after another race that had problems. But, you know, and you say to yourself, you keep saying to yourself, we're running good. As long as they're running good, it's going to work out. But at right. some point, it's like, good Lord, what I mean, what do we got to do to change this? Because they finished 15th. Right. And, and if you go back, you know, Matt never ran well at Martinsville. I mean, self-proclaimed, he was awful at Martinsville and the road courses, right? But since he's joined, joined Joe Gibbs, he's been really good at road courses and, and Martinsville. And now he has a shot to win the race, and they finished 15th. And on top of that, I think Matt could step back and say, you know, I understand what Kyle's situation. But at the same time, your teammate didn't work with you. Right. On top of everything else that has happened, you know, at some point, it, the water boils over the pot.
1: This was exactly my, my next question to you. And uh, two things here. One, I should say, Kenseth did give a brief quote to Toyota that didn't really talk about the final restart. but sure. Typical Kenseth, classy, hey, it didn't work out. Uh, I, I just couldn't hold these guys off at the end and that's the way it went you yep. that's what we would expect of course you knowing him as well as anybody uh more so than me th- about Matt the other thing is I heard Joe Gibbs in Victory Lane overheard heard him talking to somebody and as much as he was happy for Kyle you could sense that he he and he, he was like man I'm really happy for Kyle but oh my god Matt I mean three times this year he might have had the fastest car and and it's it, you're right it's it's not just that they're not closing it out it's 15th at Martinsville with a top five card. Right. Daytona, right. they finished, what, 17th when right. they could have won. And that's got to eat at you a little bit, right? That you're well, just no giving question. away points.
2: And, and, and listen, and, and everybody focuses just on wins because that's what we've been taught. We've been told if you win races, you're in the chase. Points still matter. Mm-hmm. And and it's people are going to make this chase by getting in by points. And if you start adding up all the races and all the positions that Matt and his team have given up, Late in races, it's a lot of positions. It's a lot of points. And Matt and his team, listen, they believe they can win, okay? But they're also smart enough to know that they need to gain points. And they're also – you get to the point – and what my concern for that team is you get to the point where you have to go to the racetrack and say, we just need to finish 10th. You know, and you tend to – when you're trying to get things back in order, you tend to overcompensate a little bit. You you try too hard – or you settle for a finish that really isn't good enough, for, but for you at that moment it is. And and either way, isn't the attitude you won't go into the racetrack? You want to go to the racetrack with the right attitude, with the right goal, with the right mindset. But when it starts piling up on you, it's it's hard to get lined up. Is Kenseth the
1: right driver to go through this because he is so even keeled and able to just handle anything that's thrown at him?
2: Yeah, but you know Matt is Matt's one of those guys. He never forgets. Yeah, you know, and and um, how many times do you think he's rewatched Daytona? Oh, he and, and he and he <laughs> he just he he rel- relives stuff, and yeah. he uh, you know, but he does have a good perspective. Like he he and I were having a conversation a few weeks ago about a particular driver in another series, and he didn't even know who that was. Hmm. And I'm like, how do you not know who that is? <laughs> and he's like, I race, and then I play with my kids. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he you know he he has he's gotten to the point in his life where he knows there's something bigger than racing. And some people say that's a bad thing. It's a good thing for a motivated, driven driver like that. That's why I think Kyle Bush is better today than he was a year ago, because he had everything that he thought mattered to him t- taken away. And when he wrecked at Daytona, you know he got the he he got he saw he saw the evil side. He saw yeah. you know he saw what can be there, and and so. Getting that perspective for a guy like Matt and a guy like Kyle that are driven, that want to win, that balances their life out a little bit. That puts them, that gives them some perspective, and I and I think that's healthy for that kind of driver. Now a driver that already is thinking about, you know, spending time, doesn't want to be at a test, those kind of that guy, you know, no, that it's bad for him. But for a guy like Matt and like Kyle, I think that perspective helps them.
1: Yeah. Well, we, we did hear from Kenseth then after the Martinsville race. I, I wanted to ask you about Kyle, who we didn't hear from after an Xfinity race recently at, at Fontana. Uh, you were always really good with the media, with, with talking with us, and now you're a member of the media. And, and I, I think that y- you get it as, as well as, as anybody when you see a driver uh, who has a bad finish decide that he's not going to meet with the media, what's your take on that? Do they always have an obligation to, to to speak with us, or should it be allowed or forgiven that when they
2: don't want to, that they don't have to? Well, I, I think that I think that first of all, I think that the major, by far, the majority of the time, the driver should stop and take time, and it it it's not about the media. It's about the fans, right? The way the fans get the information, the way the, the what the, what makes our sport great is the passion. And if the fa- if when the driver leaves without comment, then either he's really mad and doesn't want to talk. He what? But you don't know, right? Like so, I, it's okay to say I'm pissed off. It's okay to say you know what I think that sucks. It's okay to say NASCAR screwed up. It's okay to say, that guy, that guy wrecked me. That Those things are okay. Right. And I think that drivers sometimes have been taught not to say anything bad. It's okay to say something bad. It's how you say it. It's okay to question NASCAR. It's okay to say, that guy wrecked me. That's, they're, all those things are fine. And, and you're going to say it to that driver anyway. You're going to say it to NASCAR anyway. I mean, I don't think you say it in a disparaging way. I don't think you say it in an ugly way. But the fans – paid their money the fans invested three and a half hours to watch the race the fans invest time to listen to radio and watch tv shows and read articles the the competitors owe it to those fans to 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 let them know how they feel
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you're now you're now on the other side again with with with, with, you're not on the other side you've you've transferred to the other side you're a media member now (laughs) is this good or bad (laughs) that, that was my question um because I know we,
2: I gained a lot of weight. We, <laughs> that's important, <laughs> as you as you've been telling us over the years. Yes, uh, and I got it back off now. Though I had to I had to get away from y'all for a little while. That's I got, good. I got my weight back off. I
1: found that I've, I found that running helps. Yeah. I, don't know if I had to quit eating. That. that was my first step. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then definitely don't touch any media center food or anything <laughs> they serve in any of the sweets. Uh, but we actually have have roped you into helping us a few times, which we are, I won't go into. Details, but we are eternally grateful for that because we put you in the position of essentially being a reporter a little bit and being a, a media member and, and helping us, as you said, get the facts right and vet stories. What's it? And you're doing some interviewing, I know, on, on NASCAR America. You and Latart and DJ, when we have drivers in, what's it been like that whole experience of
2: of now being on the other side? Well, you know, fortunately, I had a transition. You know, I had a, I didn't, I like, I think what Jeff Gordon's doing this year is really difficult. I, I it would have been hard for me. To get out of the car in November and then be in the booth in february that would have been hard i I was able to be out of the car run run a few races for for m w r and then fill in for tony and then while I was doing that, I was doing nascar America and kind of getting up to speed and then last year it was just about t v and it was just about nascar america and then and so i had this i've had this transition into it and and it's um I'm glad I had that time. I mean, I'm glad I had the time to to kind of walk into it. I had to jump headfirst into mm-hmm. it, um, and I, I've enjoyed it. I, the, it's it's the the only thing to me that's been a little difficult is, um, you know, when you say something, the drivers say they don't. They they say they don't watch, right? They watch every minute of every race. They they do when you <laughs> say something. I can tell you that they disagree <laughs> with. But but that's what I signed up for. I knew that, yeah. and I think that I think staying involved. Is it was easy for me last year because I you know people you know I was still racing you know and people you know people you know they looked at me as a race car driver but I think the longer you're not a race car driver the more they look at you as a member of the media mm-hmm. right and 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 they start to protect just a little bit but uh, the people that I know I mean they'll tell me things and say hey look you know don't don't say this right but but you know they'll tell me the the whole story the people that I don't know they I have to learn how to bridge that gap you know that relationship when you raced like to be honest with you it, it, i didn't really care if that guy that i was racing with liked me or not i wanted him to respect me but we didn't have to go to dinner right like i didn't we i want him to respect me on the racetrack but if he didn't want to talk to me that's okay like that's that's fine you know but but now i i he i want him to talk to me you know I, I i want that relationship so getting to know the people that i don't really know getting to know the younger drivers to me finding a way to 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 do that that's that's really been the hardest part of the transition i haven't i have a lot of drivers tell me you know they were depressed that they they had trouble you know not racing anymore i haven't had that i i have i have rolled right in into it but i had i had transition time to to roll into it
1: yeah yeah you did the couple of races you ran in 2014 while you were moving into the nascar america role
2: before full time yeah. in 15. Yeah. Do, do you stay in the motorhome lot then? To, to ma- you talk about so maintaining I, those relationships. Yeah, so I think it's important. I think it's important to, to stay at the racetrack some. I think it's important to stay in the hotel some. I, I, so I, that's what I do. I kind of mix it up. You know, I like to be, number one, I like the racetrack. I like being at the racetrack. And, and you know, I'm comfortable there. I, I know everyone there. I'm I, So I like being there, number one. Um, I think, you know, I think... More happens in the motorhome lot than people realize. You know, it's there that is a great place to spend time with people. And I'm not talking about sitting down with someone doing an interview. I'm just talking about sitting outside a motorhome having a beer with somebody, right. right? Just just what you know, that kind of thing. Just to get to know people. And that's you're not gonna do that in the garage. That's not happening in the garage. But but on a Friday night at Texas Motor Speedway, you could sit down with somebody and, and talk about football. You know, talk about whatever. You don't have to even talk about racing just to get to know people.
1: You, you obviously know the the current establishment as it may be. You know, Kenseth, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, guys who have been around, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kevin Harvick. But there's a younger guard, and generation generationally, another generation really, Kyle yep. Larson, Ryan Blaney. Yep. Uh, Austin Dillon, I know you know a guy like Dillon, but but these other guys like Larson and Blaney, uh, do you? Well, is, some
2: of them I know because I watched them racing true. before yeah. before other people knew who they were. You know, right. like I've watched I watched Blaney race when he was thirteen years old. You know, I I or thirteen fourteen in that range. I I watched Chase Elliott race before he was Chase Elliott. Uh, so some of these guys I know from local short tracks and from uh, quarter midget racing or or, or Mandalero racing or whatever. So some of those guys I already know. There are some of them I don't. You know, There's there's a lot of these younger drivers that are coming up that are in the truck series today that haven't gotten a cup yet that I've been watching race for two or three years. Like, I know them really well. I know <laughs> some of them better than I know, say, like a Kyle Larson. Right. Uh, but uh, because of my son's racing, I've been at a lot of the same racetracks that a lot of these younger guys have been at. And, and uh, Harrison started younger than they were, but then – you know Harrison hangs out with Jeb sometimes. Well, Jeb hangs out with all those guys, so I got to get Harrison because he's not supposed to be out that late, right? And so, so I know some of them because they've got my kid in trouble a few times. So the generation gap doesn't really matter because
1: you're the dad who who is dealt with. Them well, they think your son I'm old. I mean, they think I'm old for sure. But. Nice. Um, you you mentioned about making that transition. I know you've discussed this before, probably three years ago or, or so when you first made the announcement you were going to move to NBC Sports. But how, how do you know? How did you know? Because a lot of drivers I wrestle with
2: this. I didn't. I I I. Uh, you know it 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 the way all the way the whole thing worked to where I was I was needing to look at what my other opportunities were was just the way things happened at RCR. It it just everything presented itself. You know the 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 Ryan Newman they had a driver there that was more that was plenty capable of coming in. They had funding to to make the program whole. There were a lot of things at the same time. I had an opportunity to to start with NBC and, and do NASCAR America. Um, everything just kind of presented itself. It wasn't like I said, okay, it's time. It 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 all everything just happened and when it when all the evidence started piling up then it was like i mean I, I sam flood and i had a conversation and he's like can you can you do stuff in 2000 and um i'll get my years confused now can you do stuff in 2014 i'm like no you know because to be honest with you that was going to be my last full year mm-hmm. i do that the, the the original plan was for 2014 i was going to say in the in, the spring of 2014, hey, or sometime this is my last year. That I had already told Richard Childress. I had told Caterpillar, like 2014. I'm sorry, 2014. Um, that was gonna be. That was gonna be it. Right. And Caterpillar knew it. Richard Childress knew it. Um, I hadn't. My wife knew it. I hadn't told anybody else. But that was the plan. And that got That got moved forward by a year. Yeah. And some of that. I some of that I greatly regret. Some of that, I, I had a plan, and I wanted I wanted it all to happen the way I wanted it to happen. I wasn't looking huh. for a farewell tour. No, I wasn't no. looking for that crap. I was I was just wanting to. Um, you wanted to go out on your own terms, essentially. Yeah, I wanted to yeah. go out on my own terms, and I and I wanted to go. I wanted to go and feel what it was like um, knowing you were at Martinsville for the last time, right? Like, yeah. and it, because I just you you lose the appreciation of things you know but when you go back and you're like i'll never forget i i you know one of the things in my career that stands out was it was mark martin's last race at homestead and on that same day it was potentially my last race but i didn't know you know and i went down before the race to see him and and i mean i know i started crying wow and and um Walking back to my car, I, I mean, I couldn't help it. I mean, you know, I, I knew how hard he had worked. I knew the, the things we had done together. I and I didn't know what my I didn't know what was happening with me. You know what I mean? And it was I wanted to I wanted to experience what he was experiencing. You know, saying hey, okay, this is my. You know, I wanted to experience that. Um, but having said that, I I am I'm not complaining. Like in a perfect world, that's how it would have laid out. But the way everything happened. And I'm a pretty analytical. It everything just made sense to do it when it happened. It just made more sense, right? Even though emotionally it wasn't what I wanted. Uh, from a from a every in best case for everybody, it was the right thing to do. It helped Richard Childress Racing. It it helped me get into the flow with NBC. I think it helped NBC because you know now they had a guy that had time to talk about stuff that I wouldn't have had time to talk about. Steve didn't have time to talk about it because he was doing his thing. So it just made sense to do it at that time.
1: But your reasoning makes perfect sense as well for wanting to do it on your own terms and have that feeling because I, I saw it last year. Everybody saw it with Jeff Gordon. Where he 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 downplayed the farewell tour. He wasn't doing the you know present a rocking chair to me at every racetrack, but he did embrace it, and you could tell that he he was appreciative uh, in a in probably a different way that, than if he had yet yeah. known.
2: Yeah, and 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 hear this too. There were some places that I could still win on. Mm-hmm. Like I knew, I knew, and I think my team would tell you too that like I could still win at New Hampshire. I could still win at Martinsville, I could still win at Phoenix, I could win at Charlotte. There were some racetracks that, that, for some reason, I got to where I couldn't. I don't know, to this day, I don't know why, that I, that I just, I mean, facts are facts, right? I wasn't able to win on for whatever reason, and, and I don't know why. But hmm. there are some other racetracks that I, I, I know I could have. And, and I felt, I, in my heart, in my heart, I felt that that 31 team – was going to be so much better than it was the year before because the year before or the, that you know it was Luke's first year back right. We, right. you know and, and, and you were right
1: because they and, were that much better in 14 versus 13.
2: right there was a lot of things that were moving that I'm like we've paid the price yeah we've paid you know, we've laid the down payment down Let's cash a check you right. know right. and I thought that was going to be the year that we were going to be able to cash a check.
1: That's funny because I remember vividly. I used to work for those who don't know. I used to work for the Richmond Times Dispatch. So at the time, I was a Virginia guy and I was covering a Virginia driver. And I remember you, distinctly you saying that um, about when you left Roush Fenway to go to Richard Childress Racing, and and Carl Edwards stepped into yep. what was then the ninety nine team, and and you
2: said, I knew this is a team that's about to get good. Yeah, and you can ask Carl today. I told Carl. Yeah, like I called Carl, but I called Carl and I said, look, I think I called him before before Jack Roush called him. Yeah, and I said, look, this thing's gonna go down. And, like, you need to – you. this is a good race team. This I know we haven't performed, but if you look at what we've done the last month and if you look at what has happened to get us to where we are today, you're going to be stepping into a really good race team. And, and that's the same thing I knew about the 31. You – when you are – when most teams, okay, the 48 has defied logic, but <laughs> – most teams in football, basketball, baseball and in racing they go through periods where they're rebuilding, where they're getting better, where they're not as good as they need to be and so then they make changes, the good organizations make changes and then they get better. And and that's that's what was happening in both of those situations. Like it, I I knew it was getting better. There was no doubt in my mind it was getting better. The question is can you wait long enough? Right. You know will the can the sponsors Hold out. Will the owner hold out? And that's what happens with so many young drivers is you go and you have a few bad years, and they're like, well, you know, they don't have patience anymore. Right. If you just hold out, you know what I mean? You got to cut. You got to, you know, you got to cut at some point. Right. But it's, those are difficult decisions. So then what's it like for you to watch –
1: Stepping away from the thirty one the next year, Ryan Newman finishes second in the championship to Kevin Harvick in two thousand fourteen. Carl Edwards in oh five has his breakout year. I think he I, won six the, times the, the, and finishes second in points yeah. as well.
2: When when um so I'm sitting in my office at my house with Russell Branham and my wife, and I've got I've just hung up the phone with Richard Childress, and now I've got to make a call. What do I do? Do I do I Call Jeff Smith at Roush Racing and say I'm not coming back, mm-hmm. or do I call uh, Richard Childress and say I'm going to stay at Roush? Okay. And I looked at both of them and I said, I want to tell y'all right now that we're going to get our ass handed to us next year. <laughs> Jeez. If you, if the two of you won't stay off my ass, as as we are getting beat to death next year, I'm not going to do this because that's what's going to happen. We it is going to take a year. Eighteen months to get the program in RCR, at least, at least that long turn around. And I've been telling you guys, I know y'all been complaining because we're running like crap, and I haven't been happy. But I am telling you, they are going to stomp us in the ground. <laughs> and don't <laughs> no, come to me in June. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. We're, I'm doing this, and I'm fully committed and we're, I'm going to ignore what the 99 does. I'm going to be happy for some of them, right? When they do well because I've been in the battle with them. But don't don't look at me after a race and say we made the wrong decision. If I make this decision, you got to all be fully 100% behind me. They both said yes, I'm fully behind you and then within 2 weeks they both were they both backed out on me. But But <laughs> 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 they both try. like, "Oh, you sure we did the right thing?" And I'm like, "I told you, don't say it." So, but ultimately ultimately with the 31 car we started right. beating the 99 you know right. we we put you look at what we did we put all those cars in a chase i mean three years in a row we put all three R- rcr cars in a chase and the one year we didn't prior to that clint Boyer was a rookie and gil martin was a rookie you know they were it was their first year together right 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 and and ultimately we did really really good but you had to go through those pains and that's what that's what um that's the way it was at Childress. Like the only thing about Childress is that mm-hmm. the com- from the competitor in me and and I don't mean this I wanted the thirty one to do well, okay? The same way I I wanted the ninety nine to do well. Okay. I didn't I didn't want to do better than me. But now the thirty one was doing it and I couldn't do anything mm-hmm. to say, You guys did good but I did better, right? right? Like now I was just a spectator. Yeah. And and um but but that's 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 what's really hard about business or sports or anything you have to you have to put your ego aside you have you have to know in your heart what your shortcomings are and what your strengths are and if you try to compare every single everything you will drive yourself crazy right and and i was i was i was proud of my career i was there's certainly some things i was disappointed about as well but when I, when i walked away from the 31 it wasn't like it 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 was different because when I went to the thirty one, I knew we were building something. When I went to the when I went and left the thirty one, that meant now I'm building the next yeah. phase of that my was career. The end of chapter right, yeah. right. I was getting really close to closing that chapter, yeah. and that, that was that was a difficult difficult scenario. Well, your
1: your time frame was was right on with going to Childress. You, you went there midway through the two thousand four season, and then in oh six, you make the chase. And the '99, meanwhile, doesn't. Uh, you make the chase, and you have this really good year, really great comeback season. Uh, I think win for the first time in, in eight or nine years. It was a while. It was it, was. it was. It was. It was a while. And you you led the points for a while during the chase. Uh, was that your best opportunity? You think to win a championship? Was it that season?
2: That's the one that hurts the most. Mm. Um, that's honestly, that's the one that. Um, I still, I I'd be hundred percent honest. I hadn't got over that yet. Wow! Because we, we, um, you know, we went to Martinsville with a pretty good lead, and we broke a motor. And I mean, there's only like four races left, or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we weren't point racing our way into it. I mean, we would won a race. We I mean, we were running really well. Won Dover. I think you oh. led a good part of Charlotte. Yeah. Had
1: Jimmy on the ropes after the way they opened that yep. chase. Yeah
2: and we went to Martinsville and broke a motor and left there uh, third in point still feeling like okay we're okay and then went the next week and blew a right front tire and you know it it there were some years at Roush there was a couple years at Roush like the year I finished third you go back and look at the number of times we broke like that was and you know to be honest with you, same with Mark Martin. You look at the years, look at the number of times Mark broke, had had mechanical issues. Um, those those two years are years that I wish I had back, and 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 because you know the, it was right there, and and but in no way am I saying that I feel like I'm a victim. You know what I mean? Because there mm-hmm. were things that I could have done in races that would have helped us as well. But but those two years, especially the one at RCR, I mean, I, I honestly. That kind of, for whatever reason, that kind of sucked the life out of us. Like we never after that year, it never came back. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, when 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 Todd Barrier was my crew chief, we, my God, were we fast! I mean, we were stupid fast and couldn't win a race. You know, we'd have a stupid pit stop, or we'd have a, you know, I'd do something stupid, or we'd have a bad pit call, or we couldn't win a damn race. I mean, we would, we would, we had a great year but could not win a race, and and uh, that was that was a frustrating year as well. Yeah. So
1: you, you transition, as you said, though, into the next chapter, and uh, I know you have a competitive side, but uh, I've seen that competitive side still a little bit on the NASCAR America side because like, I know you've been a little bit more involved with the show this year. There, we, we've seen you a little bit more on the program, and I, I w- was on a call where you, you almost sounded I, – I, obviously I was never in your team <laughs> meetings – but I, I may have heard like the, the pep talk Jeff Burton side, like of kind of bringing everybody together and like, hey, let's let's think about ways we can do things better and and make the show better.
2: Um, are are there things you you take from that competitive side that that you use on I, the TV side? I am who I am because of the experience that I had, and yeah. most of my experiences are been around motorsports, and and so right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, I am the person I am because of what I've been around, and. Um, Obviously, I've tried to take the good and use that, and try to learn from the bad because there's been a lot of bad I've been around too. But, but I I want I I am a very competitive person. I and I want um I want everybody on our team to be competitive people. You know what I mean? I I, I can't and this no disrespect to anybody, but I want us to have the best TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, I want us to have the best TV broadcast, and that in no way means that I won't. Someone you know I want our competitor or I don't even know if we call them a competitor that we want our our uh you know the people that do the first half of the year to do poorly i don't i want them to do I want them to be great I want their broadcast to be great' because guess what I watch it too, you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I just want us to be better yeah. <laughs> I and mean, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that no. I think they want the same thing i mean that and that's good that if if they want to be better than us and we want to be better than them, then the winners are the fans right i mean right. that's ultimately that's that's the way it is so I mean, I I uh, I like competition. I think competition brings out the best in people. I also think it brings out the worst in people. And and you have to you have to have a set of values and morals that you're not going to change. You know, when you when it's competitive because it's easy to not do the right thing. Uh, but but ultimately, I think I think competition is good for us.
1: July is, is still a ways away, but have you started? Talking or thinking about like what we
2: might see that might be different in the booth this year, what you want to do that's different? Yeah, I think you know. I think for me, I think I think it's um, I think the thing that uh, we've talked a lot about, but maybe not done as well as we should have, is you know, it's supposed to be fun, and you know, when 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 you're watching a race, it's just about you and a bunch of buddies sitting around watching a race, right? And that's how the broadcast should come apart, you know, come out. It should be, you know, it. I know part of it has to be formal, and we got to wear ties, and I get that <laughs> but but you know it's fun right yeah. like it's let's yeah. just let's let's don't worry about saying the perfect thing and all that let's just have fun let's have a good time, bring the information to the fans uh let fans know something that they may not have known um you know and 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 have a good time i mean if 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 and and we did have a good i I had a great time last year last year was um Last year was one of the most fun times I've had since I started traveling racing, and that's saying a lot because I've been traveling racing for a, a really long time. So, I had a great time last. Year. It was we have a good group of people. Everybody's fun to be around. Uh, you know, it, it's a it is a really fun group of people, and I enjoyed it. And but I think that in our second year, I think we can be more relaxed. I think you know Steve and I both you know we can relax a little more. We know what's going to happen. We know how it works. I think we can relax a little more, and I think that'll come through in a better broadcast. Yeah, just, Rick's done it forever, you know. He's right. he's 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 relaxed anyway, but I think Steve and I can relax a little more. Just come naturally from being year two. Yeah, I and I, you know, I think too. I think when you when we first started, it was we. I think we felt like we had to do everything right, okay, and that's good. But at the same time, we're not curing world hunger, <laughs> you know. We're talking about sports, right? right? And and we have to keep a perspective of. Don't get me wrong. We have to work hard and we have to do it. You know what I mean? But but at the same time, I think it's important just to remember this is fun. Right. we're supposed to be having fun. Right.
1: I hope I'm not spilling the beans here, but I, I know that I think you're going to have a two-seater car this year for the uh to drive Yeah, rounds. but
2: then I'm not I, I hear you're the first rider. That's, <laughs> That's what I was worried about. <laughs> I was wondering if you have a, any plan for that. I you don't know? You know what. We haven't we I don't know who, I don't know how they have determined who is going to ride with me. Yes. I do know that when that was we discussed that, I I think Steve said he wasn't. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't know who, how they determine who's going to ride but that's – you know, that's a um, – and I listen, I'll be perfectly honest with you. When, when they said, look, we're going to do this ride-around car last year, and I, I kind of went, oh, what are we going to do? I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, why, why, why are we going to do that? Yeah. But then after two weeks of doing it, um, I started getting all these responses with social media about, uh, wow, I'm really glad you're doing that because we've done it differently than it's been done in the past. You know what I mean? Like, right. we don't just get in the car and go around the car – we don't get in the car and go around the track fast. Like, we don't need to do that. People we, – we you can see that on Sunday, right? We don't need to do that. What we do is, like, we'll stop on the racetrack and show show the fans a perspective they can't see unless they're in a car. We'll do some, some things like that. We show them, you know, pit road, how pit road works. And because pit road's so different from one racetrack to the other, there's some things we do differently. We just don't get in the car and say, we're in turn one and it's really fast and it's bumpy right here. Like <laughs> – we can see that, all right? We, we kind of try to break the specifics of each racetrack down, and, and the fans seem to really like it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, of course, all of that will come July, but I want to wrap up by talking about a track we'll be going to November with NBC, but this, this weekend, of course, uh, our uh, partner, Fox Sports, will have the Texas race. Texas, as we talked about your career, this has been a very important track. First win there when it opened in ninety seven when it opened in a very memorable <laughs> sort of way. And you won again there a day. ten years later. Oh my gosh. Um I was not there that day but oh have I heard the stories. Um wh- what do you think we're gonna see here Saturday night with low down force package.
2: I, I well I first of all, you know, the fact that the racetrack is old and old, twenty years old or whatever it is, but the, the asphalt is old and slick and it's rough, I think that's good stuff. I think that uh, especially with this low downforce package, I think we're gonna see grooves all over the racetrack. Uh, well, that's one thing we've seen with this package is that it's widened the grooves out. It's made it where you can run in more places. And I think that's a good thing, especially at a place like Texas. So we're going to see people running on the white line. We're going to see them running against the wall. Um, to me, the, the mile and a half races have been better this year. You know, it's been more competitive. There's been a lot more passing and I think we'll continue to see that.
1: Uh, you, you mentioned the, the age of the pavement Is, is Texas. I mean, it hasn't been paved since it opened, uh, you know, 19 years ago, but
2: well, has it, yeah, it's been paid because oh, it's been reconfigured. It, it, yeah, okay. okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're don't right. You're don't right. you remember the shut up and drive t-shirts? Hey, eh, Brendan, there was that,
1: <laughs> there was that little thing that happened in the, in the first race where I think everybody crashed, but you, which is how you went. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously. <laughs> hey,
2: I, I mean, never. My trophy is still the same.
1: <laughs> I think like I'll 18 cars crashed on lap one of it that was, first race. It was, race? A, it was, it was kind ride, of crazy. Yeah. But anyway, you, you more than earned that win. Uh, not the point. Uh, of course the point is that like, it's always been a tough track and and they haven't changed it too much since
2: 98 is it like atlanta though i mean nothing it's okay listen when when they built that racetrack they said we we took a blueprint of charlotte and we built another charlotte well somebody doesn't know how to draw Mm -hmm. because (laughs) it it i mean it it not even close i mean it was it was so far apart and thank god right right like like you're gonna build a mile and a half track like somewhere else don't do that Mm -hmm. i mean build something different and and I know that the racetracks, you know, I know Atlanta and Charlotte, and I mean, I know they look the same, but they're nowhere near the same. They're the, the you know, turns one and two at, at uh, Texas are unique to itself. The mm-hmm. entrance to turn one, the way you have to get in the corner and the way the banking transitions from the straightaway to the corner is the strangest thing in the world. Then in turn, if you look at Texas, like if you're going down the back straightaway at Texas, and then you look at how the banking increases, it does it really, really late into the corner. That makes turn three really, really difficult. And I'm telling you, they will be, with the low downforce package, getting into turn three is going to be really, really important because it's the most important part of that racetrack. If you overdrive turn three at all in Texas, then you miss your marks, and now you're done. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to become even harder with the low downforce package. And what's interesting about Texas it used to be that the exit of turn two was really, really difficult. Like, there was no grip there. The wall would come up quick. and turn four, you just get it on the gas and go. They flopped. Now, turn four is the hard corner, and turn two is the easy corner. Now, how do you make sense of that? Huh. I, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Huh. I, it, I can remember the first two years after it kind of flipped, and, like, I'm like, man, we're great in turn two, and they're just driving away from me. I'm like, yeah. I don't understand. I, you know, it's never been this good in turn two. So – the track
1: the, where you have to be good has changed on the racetrack. And even though it's it's an abrasive surface, it's not like
2: Atlanta in terms of the tire wear. It doesn't quite wear the same way. It does. Uh, yeah, I don't think it wears. It doesn't wear as much as Atlanta. But okay. you will, you'll want tires. I mean, when 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 the caution comes out, you're gonna you're gonna stop with tires on for sure. Yeah. Who do you like uh, Saturday night? Anybody in particular? You know, this year has been. I I have yet to get a rhythm of who I think is. You know, you can always depend on. Um, I mean, the four car without a doubt. Uh, you can't count Kyle out. You know, he's on a roll. I mean, at some point, Kenseth is going to break through. Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point, he's going to break through. Um, I mean, I know his year has been just horrible. But at some point, it's going to break through. And I think when he does break through, it, 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 there could be a lot of wins. Right.
1: I think we've completed the circle and gotten right. back to Matt Kenseth. <laughs> so, I think at this point, we will uh, we we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate your time, Jeff. Yeah, man, thanks thank for coming you. on here. We appreciate Jeff Burton's time very much. Very insightful interview. Unfortunately, because I am not always the most aware of reporters and tend to be oblivious, I neglected to mention that Jeff Burton is being inducted into the Texas Motorsports Hall of Fame uh, this coming week on April 7th, the Thursday before this race. He, of course, was the first two-time winner at that racetrack and he of course Jeff mentioned to me hey I'm going to Texas this week and and I neglected to follow up because I was so at that point I think concerned about the levels of his voice so while we're talking about Texas Motor Speedway and history and the first winner there Jeff Burton we're going to bring on the president of Texas Motor Speedway who has been there since the beginning in 1997 and that is Eddie Gossage. Eddie uh, thanks for joining us.
0: You bet my pleasure Nate glad to be with you and glad to uh be following up uh, Jeff Burton, one of the obviously most historic and important drivers in this track's history.
1: He won the first race there in 1997. He won again in 2007, becoming the first two-time winner there. And as you know, Eddie, this is uh, the track's 20th season. I know there's a lot of celebration and attention around that. So let's start there. In your your 20 seasons there, you know, what, what... what have you seen? What's been the biggest change? You know, how, how do you look at how the track is celebrating 20 years?
0: Well, it's it's amazing if you do anything long enough, and <laughs> uh, how things you know kind of come together. But uh, I hear all the time about from the drivers, uh, man, that's just such a fun race track. You know, the asphalt is worn out, which is a, a you know contrary to popular opinion. That's a compliment from drivers, uh, and you contrast that to uh... the opening of this place where obviously it was brand new asphalt uh... and there were other issues uh... that uh... you know i don't know anybody that said a good thing about the place <laughs> and, and that was hardly uh... it was yeah i, I appreciate uh, you and all the other reporters that continue to bring up the early years because i spent tens of thousands of dollars in therapy trying to forget it uh... but you know uh it was it was a brand new racetrack. The drivers didn't care for the transitions uh from the straightaway uh onto and off of the banking uh and on the very first lap in the very first turn uh there was a huge crash and um uh to this day i'll <laughs> when I bring it up to Daryl Waltrip that he started it that he was in the outside line and tried to get down to the bottom of the turn where there wasn't a hole for Daryl to get to uh that he started to crash and that's when he started screaming about the Alamo and all kinds of things. He honestly <laughs> went on t v after the crash went on about the Alamo for a little bit uh, so uh you know it was it was not at all the way you want to start. We also had tremendous amounts of rain on uh Thursday and Friday morning, uh, and the parking lots here weren't complete, so we had to quickly and i mean in one day we set up a uh park and ride program with buses from every place we could rent them from and had um, bust in fans because you simply couldn't park here. Uh we bust in about three hundred thousand people over the course of Saturday and Sunday for the uh um, what's now Xfinity and now Sprint Cup races. Uh and and you know it was not pretty at all but it was Everybody was in their seat, and everybody got home, and uh, it it wasn't an artistic success, but it was an amazing success because, you know, there were 200, I think, actually 194,000 people. I mean, there wasn't a seat or a ticket to find anywhere, and they were hanging from the rafters, and you wind up with Jeff Burton uh, winning his very first race. And I wasn't even sure which Burton it was when he drove into victory lane because I had been so preoccupied with the other things. so
1: <laughs> Couldn't remember if Ward was in that first lap crash or not.
0: I don't point. know. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I do know that, that it was, you know, first time I've been president of a racetrack. I'm presenting a trophy in victory lane for the first time. And they hand me the microphone, uh, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, Ward or Jeff? Jeff or Ward? Yeah, I'm going to say the wrong one, whichever it is. And so I just tried to talk and talk and talk so I could, you know, hopefully it would hit me and I'm looking all over Jeff's uniform. There's nothing there. His name is not on it anywhere. He's probably the only driver in the field. And finally, Jeff I mean, here's a guy with his first win, but he has the presence of mind to drop his shoulder so I could read it off the top of the car. And uh, so it it was an, uh, an interesting little victory lane, and, and Jeff was uh, incredibly gracious and kind and professional. Uh, and uh, although, although, uh, rumor has it, uh, he tells it a little bit differently, but rumor has it that uh, later that night he went back to victory lane, climbed the fence which had been locked around Victory Lane and went in with a screwdriver and, and the the floor, uh the the uh, ground in Victory Lane, and I think you've seen them, Nate, is made of these Texas pavers that kinda of fit together. Yes. Yeah, uh, Love it. so he took a mm-hmm. took a screwdriver and pried one out and took it with him. Huh. So <laughs> he 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 uh, got a big check and, and stole a paver from the speedway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's certainly a great story. And it it was, you know, despite some of the the incidents that occurred that day, again, many of which weren't your doing in terms of you can't control the weather, you can't control the parking lots. I, I think on balance, when people look back at that race, they think you know that was that was quite a memorable beginning in in many ways and I don't think people look at it necessarily with it a, with a, in, in a completely negative light like you said there were a lot of good things that came out of it but I won't focus too much on that race how about the second race because I know <laughs> the second race didn't exactly go completely according to plan maybe not maybe from a fan perspective it did and I think you got people in and out of there a, a lot more efficiently. But in terms of the racing, I know there were still some misgivings from drivers. What do you remember about the the, the second
0: race? Well, firstly, you know, we did uh, fix our parking lots because, you know, this part of North Texas is flat. So we went in and did some grading so there was uh, some slope and ditches and whatnot so it would drain better. But we also brought in large stone aggregate rock and uh, covered the entire Fifteen hundred acres, which, to my knowledge, may be the biggest property a speedway has. You know, all our parking is on it, et cetera. Um, we grew grass back up over it, so it looks nice and pretty. Uh, and we added some additional paved parking. We now have more uh, parking here than Walt Disney World has paved parking than Walt Disney World. But we also park on grass on turf. But the truth is, is right underneath that is rock. So if we ever got, you know, had wet issues again. You could park your car, get in and out, and uh we don't have any issues like that any longer, but the enduring memory is is uh, just personally for me is um my uh, my father this was nineteen ninety eight and my father, who knows nothing about auto racing uh was here, and uh there were some weepers some uh, we uh we sit in roads all over the country. Uh, just little wet spots that come up out of the ground and uh, there were there were weepers in turn one and um, drivers were crashing and so they stopped uh, qualifying as a matter of fact and uh, I went down there in turn one standing on the racetrack and I'm talking to Rusty Wallace and Mark Martin and Ernie Irvin and a couple of other you know greats and and we're looking at this and it's you know, Mark even had a tissue paper, a, a, a Kleenex, and he was dabbing one of these wet spots and it didn't dampen his Kleenex, but it was enough to cause the car to lose adhesion. And we're sitting there shaking our head, and Mike Elton, NASCAR president, there, and and there are, are blowers, uh, you know, of the big uh, heat blowers that you use, you use to drive the track. And... um you know, so to communicate, you're you're really yelling back and forth. But nobody was, you know, having a, uh, harsh words. It didn't look that way. It looked like we're yelling at each other. We're yelling to be heard. And we decided that we should stop and, and you know, start based on points, not continue to qualify, because we had to figure out what we could do to get this water to go away. I look up, and there's my dad standing on the end of pit road. And, again, he has no reference. And we're walking back down towards the entrance, or exit the pit road, me and these drivers, and my dad stands there, uh, 70-some-odd years old, and says, son, you need a hand with these fellas? Uh, <laughs> and he was ready to fight them all. <laughs> <laughs> So I threw my arm around, and said, "Now, Dad, come on with me. Everything's fine." <laughs> and, and so I don't know that any of them even got it, but I got it. He was ready to fight for for his son, and God bless him for it. And uh, he passed away a little bit later that year with cancer. But that day, he was ready to fight. <laughs> and So that's that's my memory. Yeah, uh, yeah, really, really was. It's it's kind of a mixed thing. One of those funny little things that you think about later, but. Uh, Uh, You know, we had to stop, and and, uh, overnight we worked uh, on these spots. It had been rainy, uh, just a really, really wet spring, and uh, we went in, and and there are ways to address it. We did. We were able to race on Sunday just fine, Uh, but uh, we went back in after that, took up all the asphalt, and installed drainage system underneath the entire speedway. So it it really doesn't pose a problem any longer. But those first two years were really, really tough.
1: I bet, I bet. And, uh, of course, no one has forgotten the shut-up-and-race t-shirts in in year two uh, that also— Oh, I forgot about that. —made some headlines. (laughs) But like you said, it it all worked out, Eddie. And uh, what I'm curious about is— you mentioned how abrasive that track is and I think it's up there. It's, maybe it's not quite at the Atlanta Motor Speedway level, but it it certainly uh has, has meant that tires wear a lot more there and I think teams and drivers and fans, media, we all like that when when you have that kind of tire wear. what, what have you when you look at the track, have you given any thought to having to repave at some point or uh, oh, no. 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 Okay.
0: no, no, not at all. And and you know, it's funny, uh, a worn out racetrack is great. But then all of a sudden, it's no longer great. And, you know, we're not there, but it, it just, like, from one day to the next, drivers will tell you, oh, you got to repave it now. Yeah. Well, you know, three days ago, you said it was the greatest surface in racing, you know. And so uh, you don't know when that time will come. Uh, but right. we'll deal with that when the drivers tell us. But right now, uh, in fact, a few years ago, a few years ago, Dale Jr. was complaining about some bumps that are over a tunnel that goes underneath turns one and two. And um, he complained to the media, which I've never understood. Uh, He never complained to me, (laughs) you know, and and so I gave him a hard time. And he said, well, what would complaining to you do? I said, complaining to me, I can fix it. And he said, you can't fix bumps in asphalt. I said, oh, yes, we can. And so. We, we we improved it. You don't ever fix it, fix it, but you improve it considerably. And he came to me after the first practice session and said, I didn't think you could do that. And, and there's a way to do it, That little magic trick that we do. But when Tony Stewart heard it, he called and said, do not touch that racetrack. Don't, uh, he was concerned about the surface. And he thought we were going to cut out a section and right. put a patch in or whatever. And that's a terrible thing to do. You want to try everything you can to avoid it. There are ways. I know ways to fix, to improve asphalt, um, without tearing, without cutting out a portion. And so it's a little magic trick that you got to have experience. And, um, you know, so we were able to do it and junior couldn't believe that, uh, we were able to do it. And he said, okay, well, I said, well, see, that's why you should call me instead of calling the media. Uh, and now if I didn't, if I didn't fix it, didn't have a way to fix it, didn't feel free to blast us in the media. But, uh, and he, I hope, I think he learned a lesson there and, you know everything's
1: good 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 well yeah I, I know you guys as track presidents are always in a delicate spot because it's it's a fine line between potholes at Daytona and just the right amount of uh track uh, abrasion uh that that makes for a good race so it's I, I know that's those are some tough decisions that that you face and uh I think it's working out well so far, and I think that it's great that you you took those steps to try to improve the racing after getting that driver feedback. I know that NASCAR has taken some steps this year, Eddie, to try to improve the mile and a half racing with this lower down force package. Uh, I I know that the, I think the November race has had some really uh, indelible moments at Texas the last few years, but I think it's fair to say that The spring race at at night hasn't quite had as much action as the November race. Are you expecting that this package might deliver a a different type of racing? What has NASCAR told you maybe to expect from from the lower downforce?
0: Maybe the greatest race of all time here Saturday night. Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bold prediction. (laughs) Uh, No, it's, you know, you get frustrated with NASCAR because uh, they're very slow to respond. But if I were in their shoes, I would be very studious and uh, not make a change for the sake of making a change, but make a change because it does uh, make things better the way they ought to be. And so that's what we're anticipating Saturday night from talking to NASCAR. Uh, really key to all of this, of course, as it is at every track, is is what kind of job Goodyear has done uh, with the compound of the tire. We'd all love to see a tire that wears out before you run through a full tank of fuel. Uh, but, um, you know, I know the drivers are having fun uh, and, and really like the low downforce package. Uh and And I think personally, from my standpoint, the racing is better. uh I can tell you that uh, uh some of the objective standards uh certainly are better uh you know, not subjective but objective in terms of quality passes, uh, lead changes under the green, things like that uh and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they are demonstrably better in the first six races than they were a year ago uh so those kinds of things. Uh, make for a better race obviously and um you know that's what we're looking for saturday night and you know you applaud nascar for making the changes and and um you know we're looking forward to of course the greatest race of all time saturday (laughs) night
1: (laughs) (laughs) and that race of course will unfold over the course of 500 miles like both of your races do annually I because I am the objective journalist that I try to be I, I I admittedly have worn you out a little bit on this topic and suggested that in my experience when I've seen tracks go from 500 to 400 mile races like Pocono like Fontana like Dover I I think it's had a demonstrable impact on the quality of the racing so I I know you disagree and would like and and want to keep both your races at at five hundred miles and plan to do so, so i'm going to just give you the opportunity to make your case. Why is five hundred miles the right length for you, for your event?
0: Well, there is no magic to what makes a race better than another race. Um, I can show you four hundred mile races that aren't as good as uh there are some tracks that have a 500 mile race and a 400 mile race, you know, two races on their schedule. I could show you some that uh, the 500 mile races are um, objectively, you know, everybody can say this race is good or that race is good. And every race has, just like every ball game, every race, every ball game has the opportunity, the chance to be. Close you know down to the last uh you know eight seconds uh and some crazy play happens, and um you know uh Villanova wins uh you know that kind of thing uh we saw earlier this week in the national championship. It also could have been a blowout, and there's nothing you can do about it you know uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about that game Monday night I'm talking about that's the nature of sports um but We've not seen anything that would indicate that 400 is a magic number that makes it better than 500. Um, There are some cases where people would tell you that that race is better, say, you know, Pocono uh, at 400 miles than it was at 500 miles. Uh, But there are some cases where it's not. So there's no, that doesn't mean it's magic. Uh, I just know that our fans and those people, I mean, I love the media, um, but. The fans are the people that count, uh, and they tell us they don't want less racing. They tell us, in fact, think about where I am—I'm in Texas—that they don't understand why we don't have a 601-mile race because <laughs> everything's bigger. <better. laughs> uh, everything is bigger in Texas, and uh, I don't—I'm not saying that that was just one cute comment by one person. That's. Well, consensus is probably strong, but that is a frequent comment that we receive in some of the uh, information that we get back from fans uh, that we reach out and try to get their input on. So uh, there is absolutely, absolutely, unequivocally, zero interest in shortening a race here by our fans. And it doesn't matter if a media member wants it shortened or anybody else, because the only people that matter are the fans. We all work for them, and if uh if it, you know, if they weren't there, neither of us would be here. So, uh, we'll listen to the fans. Love you, Nate, but they pay my salary.
1: No offense taken. I appreciate the answer very much, and I'm going to give you uh, one last opportunity here in the interest of again giving you equal time. Uh, I'll let you make your plug for uh, tickets and and this weekend. But I also just want to get your take. Uh, also, on how ticket sales maybe have been for this weekend. And there was a, uh, an ISC conference call today in which uh, there was some chatter about whether Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon had had an impact. Uh, apparently, ISC tracks ticket sales are down about 10% in the second quarter, and, and they pointed to the absence of, of a couple of uh, superstars who had been around for the last 15 years uh, contributing to that. What, what have, have you seen any impact from that, Eddie? And, and you know, how are sales for this week?
0: Well, our ticket sales uh, for this week, this Saturday night, are flat to uh, just a hair up. I'm um, hesitant to call it up because we're talking about such nominal numbers up that it's it's basically flat. But when you lose such a, a prominent person like a uh, figure like Jeff Gordon, uh, who's definitely not racing, and Tony Stewart is hurt, um, you know, that... that To me, uh, being flat is a pretty strong uh, thing to to see. So, um, you know, looking forward to Tony getting back. I think Tony's going to be back, uh, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess he'll be back by May, sometime in May. Um, You know, from talking to him and how he feels, he feels very good. And I have to add, his attitude is as good as it's been in years and talking with him a lot, so. Um, uh, but you know, Jeff is in the booth, and I think that's uh, helpful on television, and he's doing a spectacular job there. And and uh, you know, uh, I can remember a time since I'm older than you, Nate, and uh, <laughs> I can remember a time that there was a great gnashing of teeth generally in our sport because we were losing over a period of just a short window of time or we losing. Pearson, and Petty, and uh, Waltrip uh, was about to leave, and Kale Yarborough had left, and I mean, great, great, great storied names that were really important to the sport. What are we going to do? I'll bet that we're all going to be out of business three years from now. You know, that kind of, uh, and I'm overstating it there a bit, but, but there was a tremendous concern, and of course, uh, Dale Earnhardt. Help bridge that gap, and then Jeff Gordon, and, uh, you know, I mentioned some guys, Rusty Wallace and and Ernie Irvin and, uh, you know, so on and so forth, and then, you know, along came uh, the Bushes and, uh, you know, so on and so forth, Tony Stewart. And and so there's a constant ebb and flow uh, of talent, and I think you would agree that uh, there is tremendous talent in the pipeline right now. There's tremendous young talent on the racetrack, whether it's in Cup, uh, Xfinity, or Truck, and and so we're in a great place, position to go forward, and as those drivers kind of establish themselves as uh, significant on the racetrack, their personalities tend to take off, whether they're strong personalities or, you know, uh, perceived as, as white hats or black hats, that's still to be determined by some of those young guys. Uh sometimes it doesn't make any sense why a guy is a black hat, but he is, you know, and you have to have all of that to make it work. So, uh, I think we're in great shape and uh I, I would just tell you to stand by. Uh, so, uh you know, there's there's more coming and uh it's our job to to make a big deal out of them. So, I'm not I'm not terribly concerned about the future as much as I miss Bill, I'm uh, I miss Jeff Gordon in the race car and I miss Tony in the race car. Right,
1: right, right. Well certainly uh, I agree with you there are a lot of uh, young personalities that are coming up that are they're very uh, interesting and have some some compelling stories and have been performing as well. And among the names this weekend, Daryl Wallace Jr., Eric Jones. Chris Buescher, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, all of them at Texas. And if people wanted to go to your fine racetrack, Eddie, and, and see some of them race on uh, Friday or Saturday, is it TexasMotorspeedway.com? Is that where tickets are available?
0: TexasMotorspeedway.com is a great place to start, and you can call 817-215-8500 uh, for tickets or go goes- to... Uh, to Ticketmaster, and they've got us there as well, but a lot of ways to, to get in or just come to the racetrack, and we'll, we're never going to turn anybody away. So, um, yeah, never, ever, ever going to turn anybody away. And, um, you know, it, it's it's spectacular at night under the lights. Again, the media doesn't like night races because of deadlines.
1: <laughs> there are no but, more deadlines, Eddie, because there, there almost are no more newspapers at this point, so I don't think you'll hear well, that quite as much as you once did. But,
0: but you do hear it, and it's like, okay, I can pick up my newspaper, and there's an extra-inning Dodgers game that I'm going to read about in my papers, so this race going at 10 o'clock is going to be fine. So, But anyway, um, and, and I'm a former newspaper reporter, so I don't understand how it works. But no, it's, um, you know, Under the Lights is special. And uh, this is the first night race of the season, and that uh, kind of makes everybody excited. So we're going to have a, a big party here. Leonard Skinner is playing the pre-race show, and we're just going to have some fun.
1: All right. Well, I, I hope that the weekend goes well for you, uh, better than it did 20 years ago or 19 years ago. I'm sure it will. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the uh, NASCAR and NBC podcast. Eddie, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Nate. I'm Steve Latart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline.